Maintenance workers, usually county convicts in green and white striped jumpsuits, come out once a year and half-heartedly try to trim back the encroaching wood, mow the grass set to bloom, the pine seedlings. The wild things of Bois Sauvage ignore them. We are left to seed another year. Esch Batiste. Hello, I'm Kennedy Weibel. And I'm Rebecca Capone. And this is Reading Pop Classics. Today, we're discussing Jesmyn Ward's 2011 hit, Salvage the Bones. The novel would go on to win that year's National Book Award for Fiction, but when it came out, it was mostly ignored by mainstream critics and didn't drop with a big splash. It sold well enough, as had Ward's first novel, Where the Line Bleeds, also set in Bois Sauvage, but it's not until the National Book Award that Salvage the Bones is recognized by the mainstream critical outlets that help drive book sales. Salvage the Bones follows the Batistes, a Black family in Bois Sauvage, Mississippi, over the course of 12 days, 10 leading up to Hurricane Katrina, the 11th day is the storm, and the 12th day is the aftermath. Our narrator is Esh, 15 and the only girl in a family of men and boys, after her mother died giving birth to Junior, the youngest of her brothers. Her two other brothers are Skeeta and Randall. The kids live in a dilapidated house in the middle of what is essentially a junkyard along with their alcoholic father. Rebecca, first read, second read? Second read. Um, so I believe this book was either given to me by you or by our mother, but I do know that it passed between the three of us with yeah. the, um, with the, you absolutely have to read this. This is one of the better books I've, I've ever read. Um, and so that was, that would, ex that would explain where my copy went. Yes. Yeah, so I don't remember. I, th I think you sent it to me and I sent it to mom or you sent it to mom and she sent it to me. Um, but this was definitely passed around through our family. Um, and it, and it really is. I, this was I just, a banger. This is a banger. I really love this book so much. I think that the, I think the writing in it is really beautiful, which is something that we will, we will get into more. Um, but I, I have never thought of, heard of, or spoke of, spoke of this book with somebody that I do not feel like I am standing in the pit. Um, so the yeah. pit is what the, the family calls their property uh, that's been in the family for, uh, for a few, at least a few generations. Um, but it is a dilapidated house. As you said, they're in a junkyard and I feel like I am standing in it. I feel like my shoes and my body feels like dusty with like the pink dust from the red clay and that it is humid and hot and that I can hear the bugs. And that is what I feel when I even hear the title of this book is I feel like I'm standing in the Batiste's on the Batiste's property with this family. I agree. This one, uh, the, the place and the setting in this one sticks to you. Like it feels, it feels sticky and dirty and, and, and hot. And I, growing up in the South, I don't think we quite had the sort of heat they have in Mississippi in South Carolina, but I do know that like just summer doldrums where you turn on the hose and the water's just hot. And they talk about that in this, like they, Turn on the bath water, it comes out hot. Turn on the hose outside, comes out hot. Absolutely. And then, I mean, you know, and having grown up around hurricanes, those days leading up to it that are just, they're so, they're so hot, they're so sticky. Um, yeah. And that kind of building um, like humidity in the air that you feel, uh, that you feel before a storm uh, is described this is the so first, well in this book. This is the first book in a really long time that someone like a person in real life pressed on me like someone handed me this book and was like you need to read this uh a co-worker of mine back at the office 
asked if I'd heard of it, pressed it on me. Like, not a critic, not the internet. I didn't hear about it through Goodreads or Amazon or anything like that. Like, a, a person was like, just please read this. It's so good. And I remember when I was reading it, I was flying somewhere and I, I had it out in the airport waiting for my bag or something. And more than one person stopped me who saw me reading it and was like, are you enjoying that? It's incredible, isn't it? This was just the first time that's happened in a long time where it felt like it was a book that the world kind of knew about. Weirdly, uh, around that same time, the other one was Where, where the Crawdads Sing. Yes, that feel- is also something that people that is something that I did also in, I mean, they've clearly now they've, they've made it into a movie and it has grown and it's, it's mainstream popularity, if you will. Um, but that was also a book that I think was personally recommended to me and that I heard other people talking about more so than it was something that came to me through um, to your point, the, the internet or, you know, or the media in some capacity it was just like a word of mouth of like, this is an amazing story. I'm less positive about that one. Did you read it? I enjoyed it. I I think I think it's a good story. I think there is a lot of value to it, but I don't. But I don't. I don't think that. But I think if we're comparing it to Salvage the Bones, that's a it's a real unfair comparison. <laughs> that's that's about. It's a real unfair comparison. I it it was a good story. I enjoyed it. Um, and it, and again, I I think it has a lot of value, and and I think it had some substance to it. But but nowhere near um the the substance that Salvage the Bones has. I didn't hate where the crawdads sing, but I, I mean, maybe we'll do it for an episode at some point because it is, maybe it was we'll legitimately, it. yeah, it was a really popular, popular book. And I do feel that a lot of the nature writing in it is like above average, but man, that dialogue, like it was written <laughs> by an AI that had never heard of humans or met humans. Like, I, I just, I don't know. She must have met people in her life. I don't know what she, like, but I think the woman who wrote it was a biologist. She's met human beings, Rebecca. By trade. She's met well, human sure, beings she and has. heard them talk. But, but nature writing is something that I think probably comes to her, is, is, is probably far more her, uh, her forte than writing dialogue. It was like it was deliberately wrong. Anyways, but back to Salvage the Bones. Back to Salvage the Bones. The nat- and the nature writing in this is something that we should also get into because I... It's because it's so beautiful. Her her description of of Mississippi and and this town of Bois Sauvage. So this book, we have a female narrator, Esh Batiste. She's fifteen. She's the one taking us through the story. Does this pass the Bechdel test? This book does not pass the Bechdel test. And no, no, Esh is the only woman in the book. And so I want to talk about that. So there are four women represented, and there are. Five women represented in this book, and it is our our main character, Esh. Uh, we do see her mother in flashbacks, uh, so she is a, a character, and she is certainly a presence or a, uh, or an absence maybe that looms large in the book. Um, China, the dog, is a female. Uh, Shalia is Manny's girlfriend. We don't have a lot of interaction or anything with her, but she, she pops up a few times. And then certainly um, Hurricane Katrina, also a female. But this book does not pass the Bechdel test because while these women are represented in the book, they do not have conversations at all, uh, much less, you know, conversations that don't that don't surround men. But I think this brings up an interesting conversation about the Bechdel test. Now, in previous episodes, we have talked a little bit about the history of the Bechdel test. And it comes from a cartoonist, Alison Bechdel, who actually 
made the reference to the Bechdel test as a little bit of a joke, but then it has been something that's been picked up over time and that people like to use to discuss women's representation in media. But this is a nice time to point out, again, this was something that, that she kind of mentioned as a joke. This was not, this is not something that was put together by like scholars or, you know, English literature doctoral students and is meant to be this, it, it, you know, it's not meant to be this pa this passive like, oh, this is an anti-feminist piece of work because it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. The purpose of using it, I think maybe in general and certainly in our podcast is that it does give us, I think, interesting conversations about women in these books, how they're represented. Because, you know, we've talked about Valley of the Dolls barely scraped by passing the Bechdel test, but we discussed the ways in which that is a, fem is a, is a how that fits into like f feminism and, and the representation of women in the book. The outsiders did not pass the Bechdel test, but that was something that felt like a really universal read, even though it was, it was about boys, there just aren't very many women in it. I think it's worth pointing out also something about both the outsiders and this book is they are written by women and it is, they're using the female gaze. Like it is a female point of view. Our narrator in the outsiders is a, is a teenage boy, but our author is, is a woman in the, the story, the story using the outsiders as an example, uh, told through the female gaze, we discussed how this isn't really how hoods, greasers, the tough guy, the black leather jacket character is usually portrayed. And I, that is a representation within itself that the story is being told, not in the voice of, or I'm sorry, it is being told in the voice, but it's being told not through the lens of a male, of, of a male author like the characters within within the story and this one too this this one has a female narrator is written by a woman and the book spends time observing men around her and their behavior it does and it also explore i mean it explores themes of of femininity it, it explores the, it explores themes of motherhood it's a very female heavy book to have three human female characters one storm and one pitbull as the, as the women in it Absolutely. To your point, yes, you know, our, our author is, she is observing the men around her, um, but her relationship to them, her relationship to the, you know, to these men um, is a big part of the book and, and their, their relationship to, to motherhood, their response to it, their, you know, their response to their own mother, their response to Ash's pregnancy, their response to China. Yes. Their reflection back on who their, on who their mother was and what she left them, how she influenced them. Is it is that something that we the, that we see often in the book? The things that she taught them, the things that she showed them, the characteristics that each of these children have that are like their mother. So, so yeah. So while this is not a book that passes the Bechdel test, um, I am kind of glad that we've had these few books in a row that either barely passed or do not pass the Bechdel test, but do have this great representation of women. When we're pointing out that it doesn't pass, we are not bringing a hammer down. It is a conversation starter and kind of an interesting think piece. How often it comes up that like, I don't know, two women just do not have a conversation throughout 300 pages or through two hours of a movie. Right. Absolutely. And then again, that even without that, that in, that in itself does not indicate that this something does not have a good representation of women um, in the book, you know, as we see, again, both in Valley of the Dolls and, and particularly here in Salvage the Bones as well. Um, but so our protagonist, Ash, is reading 
Ash is reading uh, The Myth of Medea. And Medea is a Greek sorceress who slaughters her children to punish her husband for taking a new bride. And I think you, um, so she's reading it within the context of the Argonauts. I, I feel like you knew a little bit more about this this literary work than I do, um, than I did prior to, to this. Yeah, she's reading Edith Hamilton's Mythology is the name of the book. It was something that was assigned to me when I was 15, when I was Esh's age. It was something I had to read for English class. Uh, like Ash, I also loved it. It was it's just a retelling of those stories without having to wade through the poems. Just here's Zeus. This is who he was. Here's Hades. This is, or uh, here's all these people. This is who they were. And then it's got some of the classic tales. It gives you a little short description of where she is pulling the different elements of the story from. Like I, this one is mentioned by Virgil and Homer tells a version of this story that I have used in, you know, the middle and some of the texts from this one came from wherever one of the stories of adventure within it is jason and the argonauts and the search for the golden fleece which is where medea comes in jason and his argonauts go out to some kingdom ask for this golden fleece back it doesn't matter the what's and wherefores of why this other guy's got the golden fleece but jason wants it and the guy tells him the guy sets him up with these like three impossible tasks that he just can't live through and says if he can do them he can have the fleece the guy claims that he himself did them. He lies. He didn't do them. Hera pulls a fast one up in Mount Olympus and like goes to Aphrodite and is like, I need your son. I really like Jason. I need your son to make this lady fall in love with Jason so that she helps him. And Cupid shoots Medea in the heart with an arrow. She falls in love with Jason and then she betrays her father and uses her magic to help Jason get back the golden fleece, defeat her father. She runs off with Jason afterwards, along with her brother. She murders her brother. She she rampages pretty hard through the narrative <laughs> until Jason, once he's gotten everything he wants from the world, most of it because of Medea, he decides he's going to marry some other lady because he wants to like join her father's kingdom with himself. And Medea gets mad and he's like, you need to be okay with this. And she's like, what? We have children. <laughs> no and she kills his new fiance and then she kills both their children and then she goes up to the roof of their house where jason is trying to chase her down and she rides away in a chariot drawn by two dragons that's the story of medea and that's the story that esh is circling back on over and over and over again and talking about because it echoes how she feels about manny right so she is so you know, so she so she is in love in that way that that only that only teenagers can be, or that, that yeah. only really young people can be, right? In this this love that can't that can't be helped, um, that can't be changed, no matter what, no matter what, you know. Like Manny is clearly not returning her love, um, and but she can't help the way she feels. It's a good and description we also see... of teenage love from from Ward. Like the way she like sets it up and the way Ash talks about it is is realistic. It is absolutely, it is absolutely, it is so, it is so relatable. It is so really, it is, it's so relatable. It's so something that I think people can identify with. It's something that happens at such a specific time, I think, in your life to, to kind of have that, to have that love. I want to talk about how Jasmine Ward, Jasmine Ward is an English teacher's dream. <laughs> Everything in this book, I mean, the, the writing is incredible, but like, the similes, the metaphors, the allegories, 
the overarching the, themes. The illusions, Rebecca. There are mythological illusions throughout. There are mythological illusions. This, you know, this myth is woven throughout the story. We can we can see so many, um, so many, you know, allegories, so many allusions to this this myth in there. Um, there are so many things that parallel each other, tensions rising. I mean, and we're going to get into that. So one of the things that I will some, bring up. I could rip some AP English uh, essays out of this. I could write 100 A-plus essays from this book. There are so many things that you could, there are so many small things that you could delve into and just really explore. And we will absolutely do some of that. And so let's talk about Manny a little bit. So for one. So you uh, could do Jason that, but the problem, is, the problem is they're not going to teach this in high school. The problem is they will not teach this in high school. Um, so let's talk about, so Manny's always described as like golden. Right. Yeah. He's so we talked about how Jason is, is seeking the golden fleece and the story of the myth. And Manny is constantly also. So this is one of our one of our many illusions in this book that Manny is always described as gold um, by her by by Ash. And again, that's where we see that that high school, it's that really classic kind of young love that it's like every time he is nearby, he's he is taking all of the sun and reflecting gold because that is the way you see somebody that you really that you really love or you really care about at this young age, right? That it's like they come in and kind of light up the room. It's hard to like not look over at them. You know, she struggles to not just kind of constantly be staring at him. Um and he does kind of emit that that gold. He's got that that golden fleece about him. Now one of the reasons that this is not a book um so this is something I when I was kind of looking up and doing some research for this book, that this was this was a banned book in some in some places, they yeah. didn't want this to be taught um, in English classes, which I think is another failure of our education system. But that is my person. That's that's one woman's opinion. But part of it is because of is because of the relationship between Manny and Esh. Manny is an adult, so that snuck up on me because when we first to give a little context, we we hear from Esh in her narration that she has been pretty much just sleeping with any of her brother's friends who come to the pit with no compunction since she was 12 years old. Just, she's just open for business. She's not particularly concerned about it. She tells us very casually that this is what she's been doing. She's 15 now. Manny is the one that she suddenly has fallen in love with when Manny came for her and she hasn't slept with anybody else. Now she's been turning down the other boys for, I think she said five months. I, I, there's a, there's a time in there that she mentions is five or six months that she hasn't slept with anybody else because once she got Manny, that was it. Something just like clicked. Cupid got her with that arrow. The way it's described at first, though, because it's her brother's friends and Ash is 15 and her brothers seem like they're also in high school or around her age. I didn't like the first couple times she's with Manny. I thought Manny was just like she's a freshman. Manny's a sophomore or a junior. Until... I don't know, we're like a third of the way in the book before we find out that Manny, before we find out that Manny has a live-in girlfriend in the trailer that he lives in by himself because he's an adult man. He's like 19 years old. Yes. And so in the it's so in the relationship is, you know, so so people so that's one of them, right? Is that they feel that this this older man has coerced this younger woman into into a sexual relationship. And so I want to talk a little I want so I want to talk a little bit about Esh's um I really hate to use the word promiscuity. I do. This is a young, this is a young, vulnerable woman who's who does who's who's lost her mother at a young age. She's surrounded by men. We, she does not have female friends in the book that we hear of. She doesn't have close female friends. 
and these men are constantly around. So I want to talk a little bit about her her choices. For what it's worth, she doesn't seem particularly sad about the choices that she's made here. She doesn't. But here's something that I think is really interesting because this was a because this is because again, this book does have female representation. It does represent the female experience. And so I want to read a quote from the book that this echoes something that we also saw in Valley of the Dolls. And this does echo something that I that I think women feel. Um, so this is a quote when she's talking about how she feels differently about Manny than the other boys. And she kind of talks about the difference between her emotional connection with Manny and then what she's physically giving these other boys. And she refers to that emotional connection as her girly heart. So that's my context. Um, I'm going to begin the quote. The girly heart that before Manny, I'd let boys have because they wanted it and not because I wanted to give it. I'd let boys have it because for a moment I was Psyche or Eurydice or Daphne. I was beloved. But with Manny, it was different. He was so beautiful, and still he chose me again and again. He wanted my girly heart. I gave him both of them. So one of the things I think is interesting in this is this concept of, I, first of all, she says, I'd let, I've let boys have it. I've let boys have it because they wanted it, not because I wanted to give it. For one, she's looking... For one, she's looking for affection. She's looking for attention and she's looking for love. And she unfortunately feels that this is a way to get it. She's not getting it from her father. Um, her mother is dead. This is a way that she is getting. The father is, is very absent. Like their father is just. The father is very absent. A, a mad Hephaestus with a hammer in his hand, like just wandering through the pit, like banging on different pieces of metal and broken cars and things. But we see a similar sentiment from Anne in Valley of the Dolls when she kind of settles for Kevin Gilmore, the the older man who kind of makes her famous, makes her a famous model. And she also kind of says, like, she kind of gives in to him because men are always coming on to her and it's easier to just be with one of them than to constantly have to turn men down. And so we see this same in, this same sentiment here from Esh, that it's it's kind of just easier to let these boys have sex with her than to not, than to constantly be, be pushing away this advance. And then she feels different. She feels differently with Manny. And I think that's interesting because I think that if she had a female, some female figure, right? So whether it was a, a sister, whether it was her mother, even if it was a, even if it was closer friends and more, more female relationships, then she may have some tools to kind of put this away. This is something that I think a lot of the male gaze, right? The male need and drive for sex from women is something that women deal with from a super young age. She's 12 when this starts. And most women that I know, including myself, the first time that, um, that, uh, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about somebody your age. I am talking about somebody slightly older that men come up to you and, and hit on you or, or say something suggestive or flirt with you in a way that there's this moment, like when you're a child of like, what is happening? And then that continues kind of for a, a lot of that continues for the rest of your teenage and, and adult years, you know, as a female. And you you have tool and you have tools to to repel these advances. You learn to become, I don't want to say comfortable with it, but I think that you learn ways to to separate it and to and to push it out and to block yourself and to steal yourself from it in some ways. And this is not something that this 
that this woman has had a chance to do. And that I feel like, and that I feel like is how she, she sort of ends up in this, this situation that she's, that she's in with these boys where she's having sex with them. She's letting them. It's just easier to, it's just easier than to constantly be pushing this advance, this advance away. She seems fairly apathetic about it. And it seems like it is a door that is open. Grief opened that door and left it open. And she is just sort of like, it's the only attention that she gets from these guys throughout the book. The, with the exception of big Henry, who we'll talk about, the guys don't talk to her when they're at the pit. Like the other boys don't interact with her. They don't speak to her. She is only there in their mind for that. That is a great observation. That is that is a very good point. That they really don't they don't have a lot of interaction with her. Her brothers are the ones that look out for her and include her in the conversations and include her in the social scene, with the exception of Big Henry. And I want to talk about them when we get a little bit farther along. Because I want to get I want to get into Big Henry, but I want to but I want to talk about this coercion with Manny, right? That this this isn't that this is this is an adult nineteen year old man who knows that he who does who knows that he does not want a relationship with this woman with this girl. She is very young, and while she does come into this relationship, for lack of a better way to describe it, willingly. He's taking advantage of the situation. That is a very he is taking advantage, and that is and that is still coercion. When you are when you are older, and when you are older, and you have more information, and you are seeking this kind of relationship with somebody that is younger, you have the upper hand, and you have the power, and you have the advantage, and so it is coercion, and that is something that that they felt that that is something that they maybe felt like this book was a reason that this book shouldn't be taught. And my argument would be that this is a reason this book should be taught so that that can be a conversation about what coercion, about what coercion looks like, about what, about what the female experience might be to be in a world where men, where men are viewing you, where, where men are viewing you sexually from a very young age. Well, and this, like everything else in this book is presented to us without commentary from the narrative. There, this is the most judgment-free book I think we've read so far that I can think right. of. Like the situation with Esh, she is our narrator. She is describing everything to us in present tense, except for the flashbacks. Esh does not offer commentary in it on it. Other characters don't really offer commentary on it. The book does not seem to take a side with the uh, the sex life of Esh, the age of any of these characters, the uh, the situation in which a lot of these characters live, especially our main characters who live in pretty unforgivable poverty, mm-hmm. the dog fighting, which is, I know a real hot button issue. I guess, I don't know. Is it a hot button issue? I feel like it was briefly. I feel like I haven't heard about it in a decade, but I'm, I'm sure when it comes up, people are against the, all of it. It's the the strength. One of the strengths of the novel, I think is that we are given this, flat and what she has done is taking characters who are usually the huddled masses that our main characters are looking at and either i don't know do something kind or do something mean and that's how we know if a main character is a villain or a hero in another book like these are people who do not get the front who do not get the these are people generally who are not front and center on the stage in in any media not in movies not in books uh, I don't know enough about the theater, but this like deeply, desperately poor people who are who are pregnant, who are who are pregnant teenagers who are dogfighting, pregnant teenagers, 
dogfighting, alcoholic dads. Um, like this is only presented if they're going to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and find a way out of it at the end. And at the end of this book, they get Katrina instead. There isn't Katrina doesn't come through and the house blows down and it turns out the gold was buried under there the whole time. Like the storm just happens and everything is just worse. And it's pretty bad to begin with. Right. But we get it. But we get to know these characters. They're not caricatures. They're not representations. We get to know them. We understand. We understand their background. We understand they've lost their mother. We understand why Esh is making these is making these choices and doing and doing this with men without judgment on the character without judgment on her character of just like this is the situation she is in this is somebody who is looking this is someone who is looking for for love and looking to feel valued and looking to feel cherished and this is and and I think that she knows that this isn't really the way to do that but she's learning it because that's how people learn things is to go through them the very choice of the author to give our 15 year old poor black pregnant teenage narrator a ongoing sort of commentary on the myth of Jason and the Argonauts and Medea and the place and action of females within that story is itself like makes this book unlike anything else that I really ever read like because she does it without Esh being a savant who's going to get herself out of there like it's not Esh isn't special for knowing this she's just an American who can read like it's it's not presented as fantastic it's not incredible that Esh is reading the book for her summer reading. It's not the thing that sets her apart from everybody else and all the other characters are like, she's not like other girls. Like she's just allowed to have an interior dialogue that includes a really common ninth grade, ninth grade summer reading assignment. And to be able to see herself in a story. Yeah. To be able to see herself in a myth and see her own situation and use and use literature, use this this story to reflect on her own experience and her own life or her own thing that's going on. And I, then I think that we get to see, you know, th- throughout the book, we get to see how she changes this myth. So it's something I something I really enjoy in this book, something that I think makes this a beautiful book is the relationship is the relationship between the siblings in general. Um, and, or I guess maybe the, the whole relationship between the family, because as we've discussed, the father, the father is large, is largely absent. Um, he's a cranky, irritable, physically and emotionally, physically and emotionally, these, this family, their, their mother has a, a kind of, I mean, not later in life child, but she's. Esh is nine when her mom is, is pregnant or eight, maybe when she, you know, when her mom is pregnant with junior and her mother passes away. Um, giving birth to Junior. And then the dad comes home and just sort of like hands over Junior, like, yep, here's your brother. Your mom's yeah. dead. Esh and, and Randall raise, raise Junior. And Esh and Randall raise, they raise Junior. And More so than Skeeta, who is obsessed with that dog, which drove me a little bit nuts. Yeah. So he does have, we do see throughout the book, his obsession with China. The family tries to draw his attention back to other important things that are happening, and he continually focuses on the dog. However, he's the he I, is the most he is the most observant about Ash. He knows that Ash yeah. is pregnant so quickly, and he doesn't and he doesn't say anything to her. He doesn't say anything to her. He doesn't put her on the spot about it because I think that he sees that this is something that she is still working through. But he looks out for her and he has her back, and we see that in moments. We see that in moments throughout the book. 
I have this is I have two. And he knows about Manny. I have two criticisms about the book, or two weak points. I mean, not criticisms, but the the relationship with the brother. Do the brothers know that their friends are just coming out there all the time and sleeping with their sister? Because the book really focuses on like Skeeta caring for Esh and the bond between these siblings and how much they care for one another. And it seems like the boys aren't super concerned at like every guy they know. We're, she names, I don't know, six or seven dudes that are like part of the regular crew who are coming out there. They are maybe not also, we've discussed, we've discussed it. This is a, this is a book that does not offer a lot of judgment of it its doesn't. characters and the things that are going on. And we've also discussed, this is a choice Esh is making. Now, we've discussed what coercion is in terms of an older of an older man, in this case, Manny, and a younger female, and what coercion can mean and how those things can be different from forcing somebody into a situation, which is why we use the word coercion versus a harsher word like rape, right? So she's making these choices to be with these boys. And so... I guess they are not. She has agency. She's got agency. Like we, like she, the, the character. Yeah, the character has agency and tells us, and we have no reason to doubt her that she is aware of the decisions that she's making, and 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 she's not been tricked or lulled or or, or so drugged or anything not, like that. They're not offering judgment. They're not judging Skeeta for his relationship with China and that kind of thing. I mean, they get frustrated with it sometimes of like, we have this hurricane coming, we're trying to prepare for it. There's other things going on and you need to tune in a little bit, but there is not a judgment about his relationship with the dog. If anything, they, they understand and support it. So I think that they are supporting is maybe not the word, but like, I don't think they're going to step in and be judgmental about what their sister is doing. If they they understand that she has agency. Do you think they know? I think they know. I think that it's very clear this. Manny tells us that they know. I don't know if I believe Manny. Skeeta knows. Skeeta knows about Manny. We see. Yeah. I, there are instances that we see that. That we see that in the book. And it's it's the tension. And that's the driving tension between him and Mandy. It, him and Manny. I mean, it kind of comes. The, do- the dog. The dogs tend to be a little bit of, of what they're talking about but the tension the underlying tension is you've been sleeping with my sister and you've gotten her pregnant and we know that and we and they know that he's not going to do the right thing they know he's not going to do they they know he's not going to handle this well i guess it's just the the thing that stands out to me is like that's the line they're like no we're friends with all these guys until you get her pregnant and then you know now this is it's a strange line to me but but i don't think it's about getting her pregnant it's that he's it's that he's going to have the reaction that he has and they know it. He is somebody they talk about how he he's he's constantly cheating on Shul- on Shalaya, um, his girlfriend. She knows he's constantly cheating on her because she's like fighting all of these other women. She's not dealing with the fact that Manny is the common connection. But that's her that's her cross to bear. It's that he's not going to do the right thing. That I think is what they take on bridge with. Yeah, I guess it's it, it also it works in the book. The other problem, maybe it's not even a problem. I'll tell you. In the Katrina scene, they the water starts coming up through the house. They run up into the attic. The water starts coming up into the attic. Skeeta gets up and he's like, I am not going to drown in this attic. We are not drowning in this attic. He starts banging on the on the ceiling, banging on the like eaves, trying to find a way out. 
Randall pushes him out of the way and says, stand back. And he's got a chainsaw. And he says, dad, is there, he starts banging on it with the chainsaw. And he says, is there any gas in here? And the dad says, I don't remember. And he starts it and he's able to cut two parentheses in the ceiling. That Then the thing cuts out. He bashes through the ceiling and they all come out on the roof. And we'll talk about like the rest of the scene later. Where did the chainsaw come from? It was just up in the attic. He's like sitting on it when they Get come up of, into the attic. Come on. There's junk all over the place. There's junk all over the, There's just all over the yard. There's a magic chainsaw with gas in it up in that attic that no one. He just finds a chainsaw. Like you're the writer of the scene. Literally anything else. Like it doesn't need to be a chainsaw. She got to make it up. Why a chainsaw? That man because had that, a. Tr- that man was trying to drive a tractor over a chicken coop earlier because he couldn't knock it down, and he lost three fingers in the process. And he had a chainsaw this whole time. He knows he owns a chainsaw. <laughs> well, maybe he doesn't. He is drunk all of the time. He's on painkillers. He's taking painkillers and antibiotics for the fact that he's lost his fingers, and it's to the point that he's making himself sick because he won't stop drinking. And while we're discussing the father, I did want Wait, to bring up. Where did you don't have any? You don't, where did it come from? It just the, the attic chainsaw? just magically the attic just magically had a because gas up chainsaw because they live in a they live in a salvage yard. It wasn't in the yard. It was in. the I attic. know, but there's just but I think that there's just junk around. There's they live they live in just piles of junk. I would like to invite our listeners. If you, I read that scene over and over and over again, and I was like, maybe it's a metaphor that ties into the Medea myth. I couldn't make that fit. I went back and I was like, maybe it's Chekhov's chainsaw. And there's a comment earlier in the book where Randall is like, I need that chainsaw. I haven't seen it since dad took it up to the attic. Nope. I'll invite our readers, or I'm sorry, I'll invite our listeners who have read this book. If you've got a theory on the magic chainsaw or you think that it fits into the Medea myth, which is heavily present within the roof scene, because that's how the Medea jason golden fleece story ends you can write and tell us about it at readingpopclassics at gmail.com but i think i feel like earlier there was like a call to it and somewhere in the editing it got cut out and it just it got missed that like there's arbitrarily exactly the thing they need to cut through the ceiling up in this attic with no other everything else in this is so tight I didn't question it at all because there's just so much crap around. Like they're always finding what they need because they live in essentially a junkyard. So I didn't, I didn't remotely question this. They never but have I wanna, anything but I that move works. On. They never have any power tools and suddenly they have a functioning gas filled chainsaw in the attic that is appears and then disappears. And I don't know. I feel like this family could have one win. I guess that's how I feel. <laughs> Well, that's why I want to know. What is it? Is it the one win? Is it like a touch of magical realism? realism? I'm sorry, a touch of magic like in the myths where Hera steps in or like is is there some connection that like I'm just like too feeble brain to make? Because I guess you didn't know. I felt it was glaring. I didn't I I did not feel that way to me because of all of the things that are referenced throughout the book and the fact that there is just junk around all of the time to me it was like of course there of course this is in the attic why wouldn't it be but okay i i i I, I did i personally didn't question it i do see your point i do understand 
what you're saying. It's also a random thing. It, it is also a random thing of in an attic because they do have so much junk that seems to be all over like the yard and in the shed and stuff that I guess it is like, well, why is this a thing that's in if the attic? If you told me the roof had just rotted through so badly, because like you said, you feel every bit of this book, like the yard is filthy, the clay is everywhere, the uh, drywall is peeling away from the walls of the house, like the house is wilting and suffering. If you told me Randall and Skeeta put their boots through the ceiling because the roof had rotted so badly because the shingles were gone and that's how they got out, I wouldn't have blinked. The chainsaw is really specific. The chainsaw is specific. But he is just using it initially to batter a hole in the ceiling. And then it kind of comes up of like, oh, is there some gas in here? That's what stands out even more. (laughs) It could have been something else. Like they could have found the old sledgehammer up there or a cinder block. Or something not a something that just didn't. I don't know. I thought it just really stood out. Huh? Just me. Okay. All right. Well, maybe not. I listeners, please email. Can it, this is clearly burning a hole in his brain? So please email yes. us if you have thoughts on the chainsaw because <laughs> we are we are at odds here. That to me did not stand out even a little bit. Um, but I want to talk. But I want to I want to point out. I want to talk about the dad. I want to talk about these boys a little bit. I want to talk about the dad. Um, something, so again, the, the, you know, the, the mother has passed away. The dad just kind of comes home from the hospital where their mother has died and announces like, here's your little brother, your mother's dead. And just hands over this kid for Andal and Esh to raise. So Esh is already experiencing motherhood to an extent. Um, I also wanted to point out that an early description of the dad, um, when he's like starting to prepare, he's announcing like, we're going to have the storm. He wants to prepare for the storm. Here's a description an initial description of the dad. For a moment, he looked not drunk. And I feel like it says everything about a character if the way that you describe them is that for a moment, they look not drunk. I feel like that just sets up a whole lot about this father. This is a man who, this is a man who is not around physically. This is a man who is not around emotionally. This is a man who has kind of given up on, on parenthood. No, it tells you a lot. For a minute, he looked not drunk. That's a that's a heavy that's a heavy couple of words. Or, oh, and I'm then sorry. we see a heavy hand. The book, that is a heavy handful of words. Right. We see throughout the book, he does not notice anything that is going on with his children. He is very focused on the storm. I will say something that just you and I grew up in a hurricane-prone part of the country. The apathy that everyone has towards the approaching storm is so spot on. Yes, 100%. because the minute hurricane season hits, the weather and the, the weather channel and the news and the you know the chicken littles all around your particular town and neighborhood all just start going nuts for every little thing that's out there, and ninety nine percent of them don't materialize. I, right. I was just like I remember that the like, but there's a you know hurricane Morgan's out there like all right like talk to me in three days if it's if this is something yeah right. um, when it's closer to landfall i'm not going i'm not going to the hardware store i'm not buying milk and bread until i know until this is a little bit closer um something else about the dad um we'll we'll get to this because i think that the i think that the storm scene is is there's so much to talk about it is in my opinion one of the best parts of this book um but a little bit of foreshadowing as we were talking about how this is such a, a book ripe for an English essay. Um, they're afraid of their father. Yeah. So we see, we see in the beginning, you know, like again, he's, you know, well, he's, well, he's not drunk. 
that's a description of him. Um, so Skeeta is in, um, there's two houses on, on the property of, of the pit. Uh, so the house that our, our Batiste family lives in, and then the sort of skeleton almost of the grandparents of the grandparents house. It's where we get our title from is, so the, the land they live on the pit, as they call it was owned by their mother's father. And back in the day, he let guys use it as a dump for money, essentially. It was, it's a decent amount of acreage. It's more, it's, it's fairly large. And he let guys use it as a dump in exchange for money, which is why there's all this crap all over the pit. And, and they were taking, and they were taking land. They were taking like dirt um, and clay to use for. for they were taking clay. Stuff. They were dumping things there. And he was selling the dirt. He was accepting money for dumping things there. And then the, sorry, Esh and Skeeta and Randall's grandfather on their mother's side helped their father build the house that they live in for his for his wife there on the same property and so the grandparents the matrilineal grandparents house is still over there empty because they've died and they and they are constantly salvaging things from it pulling wood out of it shingles like any furniture doors window frames glass anything they can get out of it it is where we get the title salvage the bones it is and we should also point out that um so the the grandfather was was letting you know people come and take um and take the dirt and then that has that so that has created a big basin that has created a, a pit in itself that fills it. with that fills with water and they can swim in and it is and it is fed by a creek. Yes, they're swimming. That is part of, and it is part of the reason. So that decision by the grandfather long ago, and he realizes like this is this was a bad decision. I'm going to stop doing this, and it starts to become the dump. That's what creates the flooding. Yeah, that's why they get such terrible flooding. Is is that you know that that decision from from long ago and and um the the water source that's really tight storytelling it's a really good callback that's why the chainsaw doesn't make sense (laughs) (laughs) i I will not talk about the chainsaw anymore anyways skeeta is in the house pulling um linoleum out of the house he's salvaging something from the house he wants to create uh he wants to put a linoleum floor in the shed for china because he's worried that the the first puppy has died he's worried that the first puppy has gotten um a disease the book, or the or book an opens with china the pitbull giving birth to i believe it is five, five five puppies that she gives birth to she gives i'm sorry she gives birth to six puppies one is stillborn five make it right and five make it one of them early on in the book um, contracts some type of, some type of illness. Um, parvo. In, parvo from the dirt, and Skeeta um, and Skeeta euthanizes it. And he's beside himself about it, and he's very upset about it. And I should so point he out, decides that he's going to give he's going to make China a floor. So he's in the house salvaging. Um, so this is just something that I thought, and this again is just an example I think of this like descriptive writing. So he's in there pulling out the linoleum. Esh Esh come Esh is in there. To, to see what he's doing. And then like the dad tries to come in and it says the front door is the only way in. So Skeeta pitches the last tile and the box cutter out the window, just as dad is shoving his way inside the sound of the wood, like a gunshot ricocheting through the room so that I think he's broken the hinge, but the door stays upright. And then a sentence or two later, his boots hit so hard on the floor that he sounds like he's going to go through the rotted wood. He's not that much bigger than us. 
And it was like, I remember just like reading this and it's like, they're afraid of him. Like this makes me mm-hmm. think of The Shining when Jack Nicholson comes through the door, comes through the bathroom door with the ax. Like, that's what I feel like. This man just like forcing his way into the house. Like he just throwing the linoleum out so his dad doesn't see that he is taking doesn't see that from he's this doing dilapidated it. house that he is taking this linoleum for his dogs. And later when the father finds that Skeet is making a pen for the dogs, he flips out on him and makes him tear it apart because he wants he says Again, that he wants to use the he says that he wants to use the wood for like the house like to protect the windows and stuff yeah, but i think it's also is, just a way of exercise no, i think be, it's also just a way of it's of being mean right and being yeah. of being mean and being demanding and china and china steps up for for skeeta right? we learned in the beginning like, one of the in like the second page she's like china hate when they mentioned the dad they're like china hates him <laughs> China hates it because he's horrible <laughs> yeah. to them, right? And she because she's also protective. She's a mother, so those are kind of just kind of the things I have to say about the dad. Because he's talking about he's talking about boarding up the house and like this is a house he built with another guy. Like this isn't a, this isn't a couple of stories like you know a, a fifteen hundred square foot house. This is like a a four room. Like, well, and we and we can hear everything, shack, right? Like there's right many there. scenes where Esh is inside the house listening to what's going on in the yard or they're in the yard and they can hear what's going on in yeah. the house. He's got plenty of wood is my point. He just doesn't like, want Skeeter to do all, something he just doesn't for want China. Skeeter to, to like be doing he's just drunk something. and being mean. He's just drunk and again, and that's kind of where we see some of this this like this abuse. And again, I think this sets the tone for his big moment later in the book that I, I think we should build up to a little bit. Skeeta is frustrating with the dog. Like it, it is a frustrating, I feel frustrated as a reader for the other characters when like, they're trying to have a conversation with him about like, could you get some groceries for us? And he's like, like he just comes back with dog food, nothing else. Like dude. And he goes and buys two fifty pounds of dog food and like 10 cans of food of human food. But from Skeeta's point of view, he is the only person in that house, the only person doing anything to make money because those puppies are worth eight hundred. Right, and he's struggling to keep them alive. Yeah, when he's got the five, he's got potentially forty thousand dollars. When the one gets parvo and dies, he's down to thirty-two thousand dollars. And then when China eats one, he is down to twenty-four thousand dollars. And that is the dad isn't making any money. Ash and Randall don't have summer jobs. Like they're just hanging around. They like don't have summer jobs, but they are also raising a child. They are raising Junior. I should. They these are also children. It is not necessarily their job to make the money for this family. I'm just saying, from Skeeter's point of view, one of the things I did kind of think about later is that he's the only one doing anything to make any money for anybody around there. And it's the dog. That's it. It's the only good thing he's got. It's the only thing he has that has a chance to make real money. Did I say forty thousand dollars? It is not forty thousand dollars. It is for you, you did, and then you corrected it with thirty two hundred dollars. So I thought maybe I do I want misheard. people to know that I can multiply. It is four thousand dollars, then thirty two hundred, then twenty four hundred, is what he is dealing with. Not forty thousand. I can math. Right, and we should talk about, and we should talk about how how large an amount of money that that is oh yeah for some for people in this level of poverty because when we go to randall's basketball game for people not in that for people not in in poverty four thousand dollars i still think can be a substantial amount of money money. but four thousand dollars for this level of poverty is a substantial 
amount no, of $4,000 is more than a lot of people. Most people, I would almost say like, uh, whatever, like paychecks, like that's a, a lot of money. When they go to the basketball game, when they go to Randall's basketball game and they're sitting up in the stands, Randall's a very good basketball player. He's hoping to get a scholarship for the basketball summer camp. Um, and Skeeta is also suggesting that if he sells these puppies and makes some money, he can pay for him to go to the camp if he doesn't get the scholarship. But he, when he, um, when they're there, Junior wants some money to go to the concession stand. And they don't have, like, Big Henry reaches into his pocket and gives Junior a handful of change. Like, that's how little money this family has, is they don't have a pocket full like it's a it's a it's a Catholic school basketball game. Like the concession stand is like, you know, five pieces of gum for a quarter. Like it's not right. Exactly. They're not at they're not at the Knicks basketball game. Yeah, where a, ba- yeah, where a yeah. bag they're of not, chips is where a small personal size bag of chips is four or five dollars. A small amount of money. This is a twenty five cent bag of chips that the junior wants. They're in a just yeah, like they don't have a pocket full of change. Like they don't have a couple of quarters to give Junior. So no, four thousand dollars would change the, everything. You want to talk about Big Henry? So this brings us to talking. I want to talk about Big Henry so much, man. Do you know who I absolutely love? Is Big He's Henry? He's the tiny, the being... tiny glimmer of hope, the tiny glimmer of kindness. Not that's a, I shouldn't say that. There's other kind people, and there are other nice moments within this narrative, but. Big Henry is the, like, Esh tells us he is the only one of the guys who never came for her and tried to sleep with her. He's constantly picking them up and driving them around. He looks so old that he can buy beer without getting carded, which I really like. Um, He seems to have, like, I don't know, a little bit of money at least. He seems to work and have a little bit of his life together in a way that a lot of the other guys don't seem to. I did. I'm can. I have a so, question that I so want your take. So on. he's really looking out for Ash. He's really looking out for Ash. Right. The descriptions of him are all about like how big he is, but how gentle he is, and how delicate he is, and stuff. Do you think Big Henry is subtly coded as gay in this book? I think that Big Henry is in love with Ash. Can I tell you? I don't disagree with you. I'm genuinely not sure. The There's a description of Big Henry. I'll quote it. He bounces when he walks, sways side to side on his tiptoes. He swings his arms like he's wading through water. He holds his beer bottles with three fingers. That's the description that is given of him. And I, went, I pulled it and went back to it. And like It all sounds a little bit like a sort of like bouncing, swishing walks, arms side to side, like the three fingers for the neck of a beer bottle, like the pinky out almost. Like all, I couldn't tell if that was meant to. And the fact that like Ash comments that like she was surprised he's the only guy who never tried to sleep with her. All of that combined to make me wonder if like that was. And they're 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 young, so maybe it's just not a thing that. He was coded as gay, but at this basketball game, I think you've got a quote because I can tell by your face so that you. I have so I have a quote. I have a quote, and I'll, and I'll, but I but I want to speak to that. Um, I want to speak to a few things. 
So as you mentioned, Big Henry, we have that that one quote of him, another one we have, because he's always described in, in this way of being graceful and gentle. Um, when they're at the park, Big Henry comes to sit next to Ash and it says, you know, Big Henry alights in the grass next to me, graceful as a heron. Um, a page or two later, uh, Big Henry glances over at the bleachers and then rolls to his side and stands in one quick motion. Sometimes I forget he was an athlete. Uh, he's described as you know, picking himself up by his toes and fingertips. Yeah. And he's frequently, there are frequent things. These are just some things that were like kind of together in a couple pages so that I made note of. But I made note of it because of the number of times he is described in these these graceful ways. But her brothers, the other men in this book are described very differently. Randall is constantly described as like steely yeah. and hard. Um. Skeeta is, is described in similar ways. He's tight, <clears throat> tight, knotted ropes of muscle. The other men in this book, her, her father is described. I've already read a quote about how the father is described. The other men in this book are hard. They're hard. They are steely. They are described as such with this really descriptive language that Jasmine Ward uses. And Big Henry is described very differently. Yeah. He's always look. He's always looking out for Ash. He's always looking over at her. I think that he is in love with Ash at the basketball game. So prior to prior to the basketball game, we are given a little backstory on um, Ash Ash's father and mother and their little their how they met. as it were. They were in school together. How they met. They were in school together. Uh, the father was always picking on their mom, like pulling at her at her braids, at her pigtails. And one day she turns, she just hauls around and and slaps him. And after that, he starts leaving her little little treats and little presents, um, pecans and candy and and little little tokens, blackberries. Um, and that is kind of the blackberries, and that is the start of their love story. So we are given that story, and then a few scenes later, um, after we've had, and I mean, this is maybe ha this is the basketball game is about like I'm looking at halfway yeah. through the book, just a little That's over. Act two. We are given that story. We are very shortly after that. We are at the basketball game. He gives junior the money. So big Henry gives junior the money and Ash says he glances over at me and it is as if he passed the money to me as if he dropped it in my hand, like chalky pecan candy, like mealy pecans, sun black and blackberries. Additionally, at the end of the book, no, you're. I mean, maybe like, you know he so, he you know he asks her about her pregnancy. He says, you know this this baby has lots of daddies, and I will always be there for you. I think I think Big Henry cares. I think he cares for her. I I think I think he's in love with her. I think that he is setting up to be some to be something a man in her life that is different. I think he stands out for a reason, and I, I, and, and listen. No, he, you know what? Because we talked earlier you could, about how you could be right. Is written through the female gaze, and you know what? That's probably I, you're probably right. You know what? This book is not written the way like a guy would have written it, where like this description of of Big Henry as being gentle, as being delicate, is meant to be some sort of um, opposite of masculinity. Or something like that. It is observational from a female's point of view, from a female author, and it's you're right because we do get that scene where she specifically tells us the story of her parents falling in love, and then 
it's a couple page. It's it's in the same time of the basketball game that we get that that reference to it in Big Henry's actions, giving Junior the pocket full of change to be able to go to the concession stand. And then a few minutes later, he asks Ash if she wants anything. And she makes the comment he that does. like he says it just out loud, but everyone knows who he's talking to. So no, you're probably right. And it probably just points back to the fact that this is a book that is not written with like a male defensiveness of masculinity. <laughs> it's like Paul through. Right. So while we're talking about the, the 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 way she's written, right? Like so the ways that she writes, the way she describes, the way she describes nature, the way you just feel yourself in this story. I want to talk about some of her. I want to talk about some of these, some some of these things that she's writing, some of these just like really beautiful ways that she is building tension in the book, that she is creating these parallels. Um, so some of the parallels I want to talk about, two of them that I want to talk about to start with. My God, I have so many. We've been going for like an hour and 15 minutes. I just want to give you a... All right. There's no... Uh, but we still have so much to they talk about. They can be about. wrong. I mean, I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm just giving you... We have so much to talk about with this. We haven't touched, I feel like we haven't touched like some really important things. Um, Skeeta's relationship with China yeah. parallels Manny and Esh's relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, does it? Tell me. Wait. A little bit. So in in like an inverse, right? Oh, you know, Skeeta, yes. So Skeeta is so loving. We get so many things like, you know, he, she talks about how her, her, her grandfather built the house on the yeah. pit for her grandmother. Her father built the house on the pit. For her mother and Skeeta wants to build this house for China. And she says that that's what I think men do when they're in love. And that's what we see Skeeta doing with China. And we're told over and over again, how much Skeeta loves China, how much he wants to care for her. Ash is jealous birth. of the jealous probably isn't quite right, but like Ash comments constantly about how the affection that China gets from Skeeta is aspirational for her and what she would like from, from Manny. Absolutely. And and then I, we, we, of course, see the opposite um, with Manny. The other parallel, another parallel, I should say, um, China's uh, relationship, we don't see her pregnant, we see her having babies. So her relationship with motherhood and Esha's relationship with motherhood. Neither of these pregnancies are a choice by the women. No. Skeeta... Skeeta works with Manny's cousin. Um, he brings his dog Kilo over and they mate their dogs. And it's not that, and China lets it happen. She doesn't fight the dog off. She doesn't prevent him from, from mounting her and impregnating her. Just like she just lets it happen. Just yeah, like one more, Yeah, one more dude who shows up at the pit and has sex with like one of, who shows up at the, one pit. Of the only women there. So she is, she is not pregnant by choice, just like, you know, technically, right? Just like Esh is also not pregnant by choice. We should point out um, that Esh also gives us the little bit of that she, like, was always trying to use condoms. She always remembered, like, the, the pregnancy is not um, wanton disregard for her own, uh, like, she made efforts, or she tells us, and we don't have any reason not to believe her, but she tells us that, like, she made efforts, there were always condoms. It's... She doesn't understand how yeah, it's it sounds like but I always yeah. use I always which use is a very realistic thing that happens all the time to people and but it's a she was being careful in her words. 
She is careful in her words. So China, so one of the puppies dies of parvo. In another tension, another tension, another parallel that I want to talk about. China, so China's not feeling well. Uh, Skeeta thinks he's given her too much of the wormer. Did you, I just want to say, did you happen? He's did you trying to, to get her to what eat. the name of the wormer is, the dewormer? It's ivermectin. Uh, ivermectin. It's a kind of, it's like ivermectin, which is what people were taking instead of the COVID vaccine for a little while. Like certain people were like, I'm not, I won't oh, right. take the COVID yeah. vaccine, but I will take ivermectin. That's what. <laughs> but, I, but I will take dog dewormer, yeah. animal dewormer. It's a variation on that dewormer, but it's, it's ivermectin. I, I just saw it. I was like, oh, I, <laughs> right. That I remember. I remember that from a couple of years ago. Um, so Skeeta has her back in the shed. He's letting her, um, he's, the puppies are, um, the puppies are feeding at the same time in the yard. It's nighttime. Um, the dad decides he's been banging at this chicken coop all day. He's been banging at this chicken coop all day. He's not making any, he's not making any headway with it. So he wants Randall to use the tractor and, and mow down the chicken coop. Randall doesn't want to do this because it's night. He doesn't know how to drive the tractor. His father, his He's father, not familiar is drunk. with it. The dad is the father is drunk. His dad is insistent. This is one scene. This happens all at the same time, and we are going back and forth between China being with her puppies. Skeet is trying to get her to eat. The dad's been out there banging and making a racket all day, and then now he's got Randall trying to knock down this chicken coop. It goes back and forth and back and forth, and the tension is rising in the scene, and two things happen at the same time. China picks up the puppy that looks, that looks just like the father. It looks just like Kilo. Takes his head in her mouth, shakes her head, snaps his neck, kills the puppy. At the same time, Randall's dad is telling him, uh, please, like, like, stop, stop the tractor. Don't, don't, don't hit the gas, or whatever it is that he says. Randall doesn't hear it keeps going and his dad's and three of his father's fingers get severed three, off three his <laughs> three, three of them. them his middle ring and pinky the tension in this scene is so beautiful we are going back and forth between these things that seemingly have absolutely nothing to do with each other and then they both culminate into a sort of major a major thing right so skeeta is angry skeeta is upset that you know why why did you do this why did you kill the puppy the dad is, no, why Why did you keep going? I told you to stop. His fingers are bleeding everywhere. Big Henry, by the way, just another shout out to Big Henry for being the best guy in this book. Uh, drives everybody to the hospital, waits there with them all night. So they take their father to the ER. I got it also. Something I think is interesting about that the scene. The kids do not care that the father lost three fingers. They, they really don't. as though they do not go as though it's Randall not that big of a deal bad. that this no man is all that worried about him they occasionally bring food into him and like they seem to just be happy to leave him in his room and like it doesn't change much for them it does not change much for them they are they are very unconcerned and this is a very major injury a very major yeah. injury to lose to lose any of your fingers for that matter but to lose three of them is most of your hand you were left with so little that you can do if you lose three of your fingers. And 
I mean, no, anyone and, who I think and, has broken their hand or their wrist understands how important your hands are when you cannot use one of them uh, or when one of them is not fully functioning. Claude Batiste does not have a white collar job. No one is calling on Claude Batiste to do a lot of like mental. <laughs> He's not doing a lot. It's not a lot of mental sweat equity going into his work. He is a laborer. He needs no, that he's hand. a man who works yeah. with his hands. Something I think is interesting in this this scene, because of the way these, because of the way they parallel, because of the way they go back and forth, back and forth, as tension rises, these two major things happen at the same time. We have Randall harming his father now, on purpose or not. I don't really know. I honestly question whether or not he heard his dad say to stop. It's ambiguous. It's I honestly ambiguous question a little book. bit that choice. It's yeah. ambiguous. Who knows? I, I don't know. I don't know either way. So I'm actively saying I do not know, but I do question. Did he hear his, Did he hear it correctly and choose to keep going? Or was there just a lot going on and he misheard? And then we have the parent of China, the parent China, harming one of her children. And it's this interesting inverse. Isn't that what... Um, isn't it Kronos uh, who ate his children in Greek mythology? I think so. But Medea kills her children and we do see that. And we see, we see that. So that's another parallel we see with the myth. And so we have, so we have in this book, we have, we have three terrible fathers. Um, Claude sucks. We have Claude. Claude's not great. Not a great dad. He's not doing. But something that's interesting that we see in the father is that when we see these, he did not seem to be a terrible Wait, husband. Wait, who's the other bad father? There's Claude, there's Manny. Claude, Claude, Manny, and Kilo. And I say that Kilo is a bad father because, um, I mean, uh, okay, they're dogs. A bad father is probably uh, dramatic, but he does fight China. So when we're in the dog <laughs> fight scene. Yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> Him and China, him and China, him and China fight, right? Is it the dog's fault he, that they are being used for? It's not. Fighting? It is not. <laughs> that seems. It is not. I feel like that's not one we put. However, like put if we Kilo. are paralleling, if we are paralleling, um, Esh's relationship with the father of her child, with with China and China's motherhood, right? If we are looking at these these parallel mothers. China only kills one of her puppies, and it's the one that looks like the dad. No, that's true. It's the one that looks like Kilo. Like, like she's like she's resentful of the like the imposition of motherhood that has been put on her that she didn't necessarily ask for. She fights Kilo, and almost kills him. She wins the fight. She almost tears his throat out. And she would have if Skeeta, if if Skeeta doesn't call her off and call her back. She's so loyal that the second he calls her. She, because what we know about pit bulls is when they bite, they, they latch on, right? Like that's what makes them, that's, that's part of the fight. That's part of why they're trained They're that this dog fighting occurs. And then there's some honor, I think, to be the owner and to have control over that. So the very second that Skeeta calls her, she lets go and runs back to Skeeta and the boys in the pit are very, the boys at the dog fight are very impressed by that. Look how loyal she is. Look how quickly she comes to him. It highlights the special relationship he has with China because the other boys do not have that relationship with their dog. They grab their dog by the hind legs and pull them back from the fight. He calls China and she comes back to him immediately. Oh, that's a, I, you're right. I hadn't really put that together. Something you just reminded me of. She does. She gets Kilo by the throat in that fight, right? Mm-hmm. 
when Ash when Ash fights Manny or when she just beats on Manny later, she hits him in the throat. Yeah, she does. The last two tensions and parallels in this book that I that I want to talk that I think are that I think are really important and, I, and and leads us into the hurricane scene, which I think is just the best part. I honestly just think is the best part of this book. For one, just the description. It gets hotter and and more humid every single day. And there's these beautiful descriptions. You know, the sky is like a wet T-shirt. It's it's hotter every day. The air boils more every day. The insects are changing. Like the sounds they're making are changing. The wildlife is changing in response to this storm coming. And it is this building tension, the heat and the sweat that you feel throughout the book. Like you feel, I felt myself getting hotter and sweatier as I was reading this book in anticipation of Katrina. This is a book that has action sequences. There's three. There's like three mm-hmm. like action scenes, which I, I know I'm sure I've read action scenes in other books. I read Jack Reacher books. Those have action scenes in them. But in a literary novel. In a literary, a in, a, them, in a work of like literary yeah, The first is the uh, when Esh and Skeeta go to steal the Ivermec from the farm on the other side of their property and they get caught. And Big Henry's a lookout, Randall's a lookout, Junior's with Big Henry, and the people who own the farm where he's trying to steal the dewormer because he can't afford it come home, and they all have to run. And the kid's running through the forest, like Big Henry's carrying Junior on his back, like Randall's running ahead, Ash is falling behind, and Skeeter throws some like lines to her. And she remembers that she was fast, she remembers that she was powerful, and she just like unlocks the like motor. And like they're all flying through the woods and the dog is chasing them and they get back to the pit. They get back to their own home. And as they come skidding into the yard, China breaks free out of the shed and comes and like takes the dog out right before it like gets to them. Great. The other one is the dog fighting scene itself is, I would say it's an action scene. There's like two fights that we get. That's we get an action Kilo scene. versus boss and then mm-hmm. we get uh, China versus Kilo. And, and then Katrina is... Well, it is a tragic. I mean, it's an action scene in this book, though. Like, I, I am questioning the chainsaw, but like, we get the rising water, the race into the attic, the bursting through from the attic, the jumping into the tree, the jumping out of the. Well, some of them jump out of the tree. That's yeah. That. <laughs> so, t- take us through the. Tell me, take us through the uh, the Katrina scene. Okay, and so, so again, another parallel. Something that I think is a. It we, that we see throughout the book, um, the, the, the tension of this storm that is coming. It's getting hot. It, it's getting hotter. It's getting more humid. Their dad is getting more bajiggity about preparing about preparing for the storm. They are starting to accept that, like, oh, there's legitimately going to be a storm. There's go- not only are we going to have a storm, we are having a Category Five storm, which is the scariest thing that you can hear when you live in a hurricane state. And so we have this building tension for the storm and the storm itself. And it mirrors the tension of Esh's pregnancy. She doesn't want to believe it. Just like nobody wants to believe that the storm is going to happen in the beginning of oh, the book. Oh, that's true. Like, dad's like, here it is. And Manny's like, nah, it's, there's always storms. It's not going to turn into anything. And she's like, man, like I'm hoping I'm not pregnant. We don't eat a lot. So like my period isn't always regular. I'm hoping it's that. She finds out that she's pregnant. Her brothers start to notice that she's pregnant, starting with Skeeta. Her brothers start to notice it. 
he kind of clues Randall into it. I think big, I honestly think big Henry notices it as well. I think that he's, he senses that something is up. If that's not necessarily the thing that he sees, he's sensing it. Um, she's coming into more acceptance of it. She's reviewing like her own mother. She's looking at China and China's motherhood. And the storm is when the entire family finds out that she's pregnant. So they, they're in the house and the water starts coming up through the and floor. It, the truck floats by and they realize that the pit is flooded. The pit has overflowed, overrun, and it's filling up the house with water. And so they go to the attic without thinking because they can't go outside. But once they get up there, the I mean, we're also—it's the only yeah. choice. Where else are they going to go? You hope that the water isn't going to rise that high. Some people just camp out in their attic yeah. until. But the water does rise, that, rise that high. But the water does come the up. Skeeter gets up. And he's like, "I am. We are not drowning in this attic." The magic chainsaw. I won't dwell on it. But they chainsaw out the ceiling. <laughs> they get out on the roof. And it's at this point that we are also following the end of this. Is the end of the Medea story in the myth is Jason comes running for her because uh, she's killed their children. She's up on the roof of the house. In this story with our characters, the Batistes and Katrina. So Esh has China's puppies in a bucket. And Skeeta's got China. He's taking his pants off and he's like stuffed her down into the pants and tied them around himself in a way so he could like use his arms and hold his dog simultaneously. China doesn't love this, but they get out on the roof and their plan is to get from the roof to the tree that's outside their house, go along the branches, and then they can kind of shove themselves off the tree through the water towards the grandparents' old house, the one they've been salvaging the bones of. And while they're in the tree, uh, Skeeta wants to jump and there's like this brief exchange with the father where he's he like doesn't want at he the father tells ash to go and skeeta's like no and the dad is annoyed because he thinks it's about the puppies and it's skeeta who says no you can't she can't go first she's pregnant and the dad hears this and shoves his daughter out of the tree into the roiling flooding waters of katrina to drown in the middle of a hurricane. in the middle of a hurricane the puppies go flying. The puppies drown. So we talk about, um, we've talked about how there's not there's not judgment in this book. We are sort of simply presented with with what's happening. You're just kind of presented with what what the situation is with these people, and then. So I think it's interesting. So he shoves her out of the tree. I want to come back to that. He shoves her out of the tree. And she says, I kick, grasping at the air, but the hurricane slaps me and I land in the water on my back. The puppies flying out of the bucket, their eyes open for the first time to slits. And I swear, judging me as they hit. And I think that's interesting because she's been put in, she's been put in charge of the babies and I don't, and I don't think that the puppies are judging her. I think it's her judgment yeah. of herself that she hasn't been, that she hasn't kept them safe, even though she is the victim, right? Even though she has been, it, it is, it is not of her volition that the puppies aren't safe. She cannot keep them safe. She's falling out of a tree. But then Skeeta screaming, he's upset, but, but he's first, angry. But first, 
why does he kick her out of the, why does he why is that his reaction why does he he's it, it is it is a knee-jerk reaction why is that his reaction i think because it's the it'd be, what, is, what are your thoughts on it's, that it's a woman's fault she got pregnant when she was a teenager it's her fault like that's of all of the t- like he barely feeds his children they live in filth squalor and abject poverty He's fine with all of that. He's not parenting. He's not them. parenting them. He barely pays attention to them, except when he needs them to do something annoying, because he's drunk, and like he, they're just there for him to bully. Uh, all of that he's fine with, but the idea of his teenage daughter being pregnant is like just the built-in. Like it's her fault. It's her fault. I do think that you were right. I do think I think that you're correct. I do think that. It- I do think that it is the reaction of it being her fault and pun- and and like a almost like a punishment. But just in but just in thinking about it. This isn't like a devil's advocate thing. Just in thinking about it, just in, in looking at the book and looking at the things. So something and I I think I briefly mentioned this when we talked about the dad in the beginning. So he's scary. Yeah. They're afraid of him. Our initial description of him is like he looked not drunk for a moment, which tells us a lot about him. He can't do what a mother would do. The wrong parent has died. Oh, yeah. Because every flashback, what we see of the mother is that, sh- is that sh- she, was a good, she was a good mother. We don't hear what kind of father he was when she was alive. We just, we just don't get that. We just do not have a glance in it. We do see what kind of husband he is when she's alive. We do hear about their relationship. He loves this woman. When the tree crashes through their house and the water starts to rise, he he has he's he grabs a, a Ziploc bag filled with pictures of her, pic- family pictures and pictures of her, yeah. so that they have that. He was wearing his wedding ring. We learned that when his oh, fingers right. that when his fingers are are severed, Junior pulls his wedding ring off of the finger and keeps it because he wants something of his mother. He's still wearing the wedding ring. Oh, that's so Junior's sad. Six, I forgot about that. Junior seven. Junior is what seven or eight years old. Younger? This woman has been five. Maybe he's a little bit younger, but he's not two. No, 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 no. He's no, a little. Yeah, you're he's right, a little right. kid. Yeah, I don't know. Five. Do you know what I mean? Five, five or six. He's a little kid. Yeah. He's five, six, maybe somewhere in there. So she's been dead for a minute. He must be six because she's uh, Esh is nine when her mother dies, and she's fifteen in this book. Okay, so he's six. All right. So he's six. But anyways, you know, he's still wearing the wedding ring. We hear more than once in the book that Esh looks like her mother. Um, I almost wonder if some of the reaction is just, this is what killed my wife. Oh, that's, I haven't thought about that. Like to have, to have that level of reaction. Now I usually like to look for like the feminine and things. So there is a part of me that's like, probably you're right. And that there is a little bit of this, like blaming her for being pregnant. But just looking at some of the things in the story, some nothing is not nothing is inclu- nothing is not included in this story. Everything everything that's included in this story is thoughtful. Maybe except for the cha- for the chainsaw, not dwelling on it. Maybe except maybe for someone the chainsaw, will write in and tell us what else it means. I, don't know. I couldn't figure it out. Everything else in this book is thoughtful. It is called back to it is it is purposely placed. This writing is very meticulous. This writing is very poetic. Yeah. And so it just made me look a little harder at what could possibly cause you to do that. What could co- possibly cause it to be your reaction? 
And I wonder if it's just this, this is what killed my wife, just this knee jerk reaction to, to motherhood, right. To, to seeing that like this, this woman died, I'm failing as a parent. I cannot do what she did. The wrong parent died. They are stuck with me. And now I'm in this such in like, in just a knee jerk reaction to like, almost like this is this, this is what, and this is what put me in that situation is, was pregnancy, was motherhood, was giving, was having a child, was having junior. That's a good call. I mean, that's like the, like you're bringing the curse back upon this house. Like that took, that took the one good person. We, the person took, who we all, the, the person we the, all miss. Cause he is mourning. I, I know we're giving him a lot of grief. He is a shitty parrot. I'm not going to make excuses him a lot of for him, he but he is, mo- he is mourning. But we see him as a, not we don't see him as a completely different person in the past. He's, he's a drunk in the past that is in there that he comes, that he comes home drunk. He's, he's not, he wasn't out making money to feed the family very well prior to this. No, we see it, in the flashbacks, it, 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 we see a lot of failure on his part. We see him emasculated a lot. Yeah. We see his wife catch a shark when he can't catch any fish. We see Ash go into the blues bar where they're at, where she's dancing with another guy while he watches from mm-hmm. the side. Um, we, we only, he's, the house is the one her father helped him build on their land for his wife. Uh, like he, we don't see flashbacks of him being a provider or anything classically masculine or fatherly or husbandly. Like we, we see him in moments of emasculation specifically. That's a really good point. Yeah. So I wonder if, so, so that, so like I said, just, just to bring up these different reasons, because this is one of the most, I remember when, or even when he just, I'm when, sorry we, to finish when we shared this, when book. he comes home drunk, he's falling out of the truck and his wife is carrying him into the house. Yeah. Yeah. Like he comes out to like receive him and, yeah. and bring him in. I mean, this is a shocking moment in literature. I remember you telling me. Oh man. Well, I remember, I remember texting you when I finished this book or calling you when I finished this book um, to talk about it. And, and us talking about this scene and you saying like, it's a, it's the first time I've, that it was the most shocked you've ever been by something you've read. Yeah. I, I mean, and I remember the first time I read this, I thought I missed something. I thought I misunderstood what had happened. I had to go back and I had to go back to the page before and like reread it again. I thought I had missed something. No, there's books that like, I like. I thought I didn't understand what was happening. Books that have had twists. There's books that have had, I don't know, horribly disturbing things in them that have shocked me. But like plot wise, this was, I, I can't think of a, there must be something else, but just, Without like a a ridiculous sway, like with, I'm sorry, it's not like a ridiculous plot twist or something like that has been kept from me, the reader, deliberately to be surprising at the end. Just as far as a plot point that was like believable, accurate, and like I don't know, it, it worked within the story. I was he shoves her in the water. I was like, oh shit, that's uh, yeah. I literally, like I said, I legitimately thought I had misunderstood what had happened. Well, it, I thought I, I thought I missed I thought I had just act, you know like sometimes you're reading when you're reading something that's so like action packed like a, like a sequence like this that sometimes you're just kind of reading so quickly almost to, to keep up with it I thought I had missed a line nice shoves her in I thought I had skipped something and it's it's handled so well because in that moment Skeeta 
makes a decision. We we stay with him for a moment while he like struggles and makes the choice to untie China. He can't hold her anymore. Throw her in the water to fend for herself and dive in after his sister. And I didn't, I don't know if I even caught this the first time, but later in the aftermath of Katrina, so he gets her, they get into the grandparents' house and they ride out the storm there. And whenever we go to the aftermath, it's not until, I don't know, like three pages left till the end of the book, we find out that Skeeta's real name this whole time is not Skeeta. That's a nickname, I guess, but it's never been mentioned before. But his real name is Jason. In this scene on the roof, on like it it undoes the Medea myth that Ash has called us back to over and over and over again as she's reading it in her mythology book, which in the Medea myth, she kills her children. Jason comes to murder her and she escapes and and and, and that's what's left of her. In this one, it's the father causes her to kill Skeeta, Jason, Jason's children. Jason ch- chooses her, like her as Medea. Jason chooses her, throws China into the water, dives in after her, brings her up to the house, and you know the the dog swims off. But it undoes, like it breaks, like whatever the cycle of that myth is. Like it's it, it doesn't happen the same way. Like we get the roof, we get the killing of the of the the children, the puppies in this instance. The puppies. There's a Jason there, but he's not there to kill the Medea who cost him the children. He's not there to 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 come for her and kill her. He's there to save her, and it's her family. He ha- and he's never betrayed her. No, he Skeeta Skeeta has had her back this whole book. Yeah. He's known for a long. He he's known what's gone on. He's fought with Manny, who yeah. does betray her. If we're looking like right, right, we look at we look at Manny as Jason for the whole book until yeah. this until this scene. He's Manny has betrayed her. He knows about the pregnancy. He tells her, "You're you're a slut. It's not mine. I don't care." And in in any woman in this situation is basically worst nightmare. But you're right that it's Jason, and we learn yeah. that his that Skeeta that Skeeta's name is he's Jason Jason Batiste, and it's buried like pages later in the aftermath. It's not even. Like, it's just like this little, it's the only time we see it. This one, someone, I, I can't remember what it is. Someone just like calls his name for some reason. I don't know. They're taking a head count. No, she, no, she says, no, she says she's going to. Um, oh, that's right. She's going to name the baby, the baby for him. If the baby is a boy, she's going to name him after Skeeta. She's going to name him Jason. And if the baby is a girl, she's going to name it after her mother. Yeah. That's, that's what she's reflecting on because she has, because she has accepted she accepts the pregnancy by the end of the book. The whole family knows about it. The father even comes back to be um to, to apologize and to say, you know, we'll we'll be supportive. I'll be supportive. Yeah, I gotta tell you that, um, apo- that or, or whatever he's, he says it in so many it's you know in so many words. Big Henry that apology uh, tells her. I'm not sure how much good that apology. That apology, <laughs> apology tracks with his character, Ooh. though I guess. But yeah, that apology. Sorry. Sorry, I almost killed you and your unborn child. Yeah, yeah. My my sorry sorry that your father, me, your father, nearly murdered you during a storm because you got pregnant in a way that is at least somewhat adjacent to my outright emotional neglect of you as a my child. <laughs> and he just lying on the couch, he literally just says, Sorry, I shouldn't have pushed you. Yeah. Sorry. So you're pregnant? 
well, I'll be, I'll try to be helpful. Yeah, no, it's a horrible yeah, apology. Yeah, he's like, we got to go um, get you checked out. Like, oh, <laughs> thanks, Pop. This scene, um, this scene though, so she, she's in the, you know, she's in the water. Skeeta having to make this really heartbreaking decision to free China. Now for what? Now China is, China's kind of ready to go. She's trying to get away from him. She is trying to like, I can kind of stand on my own here. I'm strong. She doesn't necessarily want to be strapped. China, um, China, as far, China, China, as far as a Medea goes, does ride away from her, Jason. She does. And she, again, back again in the Q&A, the Q&A is really lovely. So if anybody has the copy, if anyone of our listeners have the copy of this book with the Q&A with Jasmine Ward, I very highly recommend you you flip through it um but she but when she's she's asked about the medea story um she's uh the interviewer asks where do you see medea in the book and the first line of jasmine ward's answer is medea is in china most directly china is brutal and magical and loyal which is which yeah um but that was a really that's that's a tough moment. I think um, it was a tough moment to read. I think um, um, it's a tough moment to, to, yeah. for China, you know, to, to know that chi- China's in the water. You know, oh, the puppies screaming. are dead. All he is saves lost. His, he saves his sister. The puppies are dead. China's is, um, you know, is spinning away in the water. So this action sequence, as it were. Um, it is one long sentence. Once he has saved, Jason saves Ash. From that moment, it is one long sentence. It starts with, China is a white head spinning away in the relentless water, barking. And Skeeta is looking from her to me, screaming, hurry up, hurry up at Randall. And it goes on from there to the end of the chapter. To them, to China spinning away. Randall's breaking the window. Randall and Junior get through the window. Skeeta pushes Esh through the window. He comes through the window. Their dad comes flopping over uh, to them. They haul everybody up through the open ceiling to the roof. Everybody's safe. Um, And it ends with, and Junior is rocking back and forth, squatting on the balls of his feet, his hands over his eyes because he does not want to see anymore. He is wailing, no, 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 no. It that is all one long sentence, punctuated only by commas, which I think is a, which I just think is a beautiful choice as an author because that is the way that you read this. At this point, um, this is just this is a part. This is like this is a you can't put the book down at this point. Like you're reading through it. My heart was like racing i'm holding back tears like this is the most emotional this is one of the most emotional things i think i have ever read and i love and it was like i realized it got to the end of it that is all this one sequence and it ends with the no 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 from little junior um and so i just think that was an interesting thing to point out we're towards the end of the book at this point i think we've talked about a lot of the major the major points um i felt particularly heartbroken by Skeeta losing losing China. But he's sure that she's going to come back. Do you think that, what do you think? Do you think that China, do you think that China is going to come back? I hope she does. Do you think this? He makes the comment earlier that China is going to come back to him. And then 
after the fight, he he says, "See, I told you she she came back to me." Um, so I think as a as a reader, I, I I think that is our tell that he will eventually find China again that she'll return. And there's two things that make the, I know, and I agree with you. For one, I think this book ends on a hopeful note. Plus, we've subverted the Medea myth so deliberately that, like, I, I want to think that that it continues through the through the return. Because in the in the myth, she just rides away, and Jason never sees her again, and he also never accepts responsibility for all the things that he did, or really comes to terms with the fact that, like, she gave him everything that he has. And our Jason, our Skeeta slash Jason, is not ungrateful in that way. And no. so I, I think she comes back. I also need I think she comes back. this book to me. I need I, I need to think but for that. For one, I do think I do think it ends on a hopeful note. Um two, and then two two things that make me think China comes back. For one, the the sentence I just read, China is a white head spinning away in the relentless water barking. She's not drowning. No, she's not. She's paddling. She's, she's barking. She's swimming. She she was struggling to get away away from Skeeta. She has not been cast aside by Skeeta. It's almost a mutual decision. He has to go save his sister. And the dog is like, bro, I got it. She's a strong, she's strong. She's a strong, uh, as Jasmine Ward describes her, kind of this magical, loyal dog. And he says to her, like in the fight, make them know. That's what he's always saying to her, right? Like, make them know. Make them know how strong you are. Make them know who you are. I think that China comes back. I think China gets herself. I think she's I think she's able to, like, keep herself above water and kind of swim off. Um, and I think that she I think she's going to come back. I think she's going to come back and be part of the family and be and, and be a, a female support to Esh as Esh enters motherhood among all of these boys i think she's going to come back as this loyal female support both you know for ash and and i think that she's going to come back to to skeeta i hope so let's do quotes i think i think that i think that she's strong my god i could quote every single thing from this book but i won't (laughs) um i have one that is i lay for so long that when i raise my head for my arm my hair has marked cursive i can't read into my skin I think I highlighted that too. So they they go to the they go to the store. Esh steals a, this toward the towards the beginning of the book. Esh steals a pregnancy test, and um, Skeeta I think went to get dog food. And they come across like the car accident. There's like two like two white people have been in a car accident, yeah. and like Big Henry like waits and calls the ambulance. Um, and describing the car that was in the accident, and there caught in the pines like a cat ascending a trunk is a car. And I picked that one because I really like how she, something I noticed in this book, um, all of her like meta- metaphors and similes and um, and descriptions, a lot of times things that are, um, she, she, she assigns like human qualities to a lot of like, like natural things or, um, or like man-made qualities to like a lot of like natural things. And she assigns a lot of like natural nature driven qualities to to like man or man-made things um which is just something i i found interesting and that i thought was a, a kind of a quote that when they're eating the squirrel skeeta slices at the stomach and what comes sliding out is blue and purple like so much wet yarn so again something man-made out of something natural 
Um, and then one, another one I have, the wind moves a little in the tops of the trees and then dies away like a person leaving a room. Uh, I have, I'm walking through the ripped net of the shade, which I liked the scat, like the way the shade scatters on the ground through like tree branches and leaves. I thought that was really good. Oh, what to pick. Okay. I'm going to do one more. I'm going to do one more nature one just because I, um, because we've talked so much about like the meat of this book that I wanted to share just, I think some of this like poetic, um, writing Skeeta yells as we pass a cathedral of oaks, leaving clouds in the dusty chapel at their middle. Oh, I do have one more, one more quote that I think, um, is worth sharing because it feeds into everything that we've talked about. And this is like in the aftermath of the storm when they, they go into St. Catherine, um, and that's the name of the town. Yeah. St. Catherine to, to see the the damage that's been done like literally on the coast because like obviously they're a little inland um and she's she's collecting some things so she can go back and tell skeeta what what it looks like there um because she wants to tell the story of katrina the mother that swept into the gulf and slaughtered and it feeds into that medea yeah. it, it feeds into that medea story um and you know and just what we see happening and 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 again, the, a, another example of a mother. Medea um, kills a lot of people in, in that book. myth. She's a, um, yeah, she I, from, from her brother to the the wife, the potential wives of her, of Jason, and so forth. Um, all right, so that was salvage the bones. So that was salvage the bones. So I think and, um, we, so do we we both recommend this. I think we would. I feel like everybody should read this book and I, I want to teach an English class and focus on this book. Uh, I love this book. I think everybody should read this book. Uh, there's dog fighting in it. So if you are one of those people who can't experience something because a dog might not be okay in it, this is probably not for you. Um, what are we doing next? So you know, we we began our podcast with Confederacy of Dunces, which is considered a comedy, and then it has gotten real dark <laughs> um, since then with World War II, drug addiction, uh, the, the the greasers, um, the greasers versus the socias, yeah. and and salvage the bones, and we have decided to lighten it up a little bit. Uh, and our next book is going to be Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine. All right. We'll look forward to that. And I will point out that if anyone would like to write us and tell us about some of the books that we've read and their own opinions on it or suggest some books that they think are pop classics or so say something nice to us, so only that, those only those things, um, <laughs> then they can write us at readingpopclassics at gmail.com. All right, let's we'll be back in a couple of weeks with Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. And thank you guys for listening. Mm-hmm.